podcast and by the way nick how should i um introduce you as uh, just to make sure you're comfortable uh like my title and stuff yeah uh i'm lead engineer of vr and visual scripting for ue4 okay all righty so i guess this is it in three two one you are now listening to Enter VR, the podcast on all things virtual reality and so much more sometimes. I'm Chris Miranda, your host, and today I'm joined by uh, Nick Whiting and Steve uh, German. Nick Whiting is the lead programmer, uh, engineer of VR at uh, Unreal Engine 4, and Steve German is a scholar and gentleman of virtual reality who's done, uh, who's created, created the Unreal SF meetup, um, among a, a lot of other things. Um, Gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me. Um, I'm really excited for today's conversation. Um, let's get on with the show. Nick, I have a question. Since we're, we're, we're low on time, I want to like throw questions at you right away, okay? I hope that's all right. Sounds good. Okay. Prepare for a barrage. <laughs> okay, perfect. Um, can you tell me – so so I was listening to your – I was watching your Twitch live stream on VR, the latest one, the one that got posted in July 28th, 2015. And you talked about some tips about designing for VR that I want to bring up really quick. So, for example, you brought up this tip about starting at frame rate um, and staying there when you're designing a game. I want to yep. know how – um, one can go about doing such thing. And by the way, welcome to the show. <laughs> thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. <laughs> awesome. Yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, thank you, Steve. <laughs> um, so yeah, um, as far as you know, kind of starting and maintaining frame rate, we, we find it's just so much easier to kind of start at 90 frames a second or 75 frames a second, whatever your goal is, and stay there rather than trying to dig your way back up. Because it's really tempting if you're not paying attention to frame rate to just start tagging on all sorts of new features and all these new kind of sexy effects and stuff on uh, your visuals. And then it gets really hard and you have to make these really hard decisions about, you know, which, which features am I going to sacrifice when it comes, you know, down to the final moment. And you really don't want to make those kind of decisions when you're panicked at the end and trying to ship a demo or a game or whatever your experience is. So what we do generally is we, we start from super, super basic uh, kind of first principles, right? We gray box levels, which means we just take a bunch of really simple shapes, no sexy textures or materials or anything on them and just start putting in things like the characters and the weapons and the hero pieces to make sure that we're kind of at frame rate and everything is maintainable and you build up from there. I mean, the, the secret is really nothing more than discontinuous testing, right? You know, every time you add something to the level, throw it in VR, make sure you're hitting frame rate and see how it goes. And, and so here's the, here's the, uh, sort of, um, sort of the polarity that I'm dealing with in, in terms of unreal engine and here, and please dispel my false notions by, by, by the way. Um, I'm under the impression that as a developer or want to be a developer of VR, I, I, I choose unreal engine four because of its, in one aspect, it's graphical fidelity and it's amazing visuals. And to me, to feel like I have to work around the limitations right now, I understand. I, I, I really understand, but, but I feel like when, 
my question is when can when do you think Unreal Engine will be really unleashed into the world like through VR? Like when can we really have dynamic lighting? When can we have you know 120 hertz refresh rates and and have all the insane madness that you know v people want to sort of expect out of VR when when you have the idea in their head? What do you think? So I, I think you can get something of that right now. I mean, it's it's all in which you know, battles you pick to fight, right? So dynamic shadows and dynamic lights are kind of the two things that are super expensive right now. So we try to limit those, but that doesn't mean you can't use them at all. For the the wedded demo, we actually had uh, two or three dynamic lights at all times on it. We just had to pick, you know, which pieces that are our hero pieces, which pieces we're going to illuminate, where we feel that the player's looking, and really just focus on using, you know, working within the constraints and using those lights to the maximum effect within the limitations of, you know, the numbers. Um, you still get things like, you know, all our rendering is still physically based. You get all the you know GPU particles and stuff, so we're not losing features necessarily with uh, you know trying to run at 90 frames a second at these super high resolutions. But you know it's also a thing where technology is kind of ever progressing, right? I'm sure, the graphics cards manufacturers are you know very thankful that VR is coming and people have a reason to buy really you know fast new graphics cards, and the price is coming down every day. So you know it's just a matter of time before you know the the newer cards start going out and you get more and more headroom. We're already seeing it now with you know kind of Nvidia's you know, Titan X's. Uh, coming out in the uh, 980 Ti's. These are kind of consumer level cars that let you do so much more than we were able to, you know, like a year and a half ago or even two years ago when we were doing something like Couch Nights. The difference between our first demos and the like the collaboration we did with Weta and the Thief in the Shadows demo, I mean, it's it's a huge difference with the amount of stuff we're able to push. So I think in, you know, a year or two, you'll really start to see those limitations start to dissipate. Plus, we're, we're getting a little more forgiving on the, the software side. You know, we, we allow a frame of buffering now, so you get a a little bit of a CPU GPU parallelism, and uh, we're working on doing instance rendering right now so that it's much more efficient than our current stereoscopic path. And once that goes in, you've got a lot more headroom to work with. So, I think so once the software side and the hardware side mature a little bit more, you'll really start to be able to push some really kind of sexy uh, graphics. Yeah. So really when is that? When is that fix coming? I'm wondering when that fix is coming. Do you think the, the stereoscopic scopic, uh, changes you mentioned? Oh, the instance rendering. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we're working on it right now. Actually, about two hours ago, we got a, uh, a prototype of Showdown up and running for the most part uh, with it. It's right now it's in the R&D phase, so you know I can't commit to it. Sure. A, a firm I day, understand, but, but is it like 4.10, I guess, or something? That, that's what we're hoping uh, for. We're, we're working on okay. a, okay, a that's, demo that's, right now. I just, I just, yeah, okay, that's great. I'm, yeah. I'm not in a big rush for that, but it'd be great to see that happen because I've yeah, been hearing about it for months. Yeah, it's awesome because it, you know it's basically free free frame rate, right? Oh, totally! Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, I can't wait. How much? Good. How much will, will will that free up in terms of once you have that? Like uh, you said, free free frame rate, and then what will the rest of the GPU have 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 left to to deal with? And my and mind you, I'm going to ask you a lot of noob questions. A lot of noob questions. Mm -hmm. So we haven't done any numbers to get you know what the actual performance numbers are in it yet because we haven't finished the, the fully fleshed out uh, implementation of it yet. So we don't mm -hmm. we try not to quote numbers until we have a pretty good idea that they're going to stick. But um, the, the hope is that that will basically free up a lot of uh, time because there, there's kind of two parts to it, right? The the way we do stereoscopic rendering right now is we issue separate draw calls for the left eye and the right eye. And that's pretty slow on the CPU because we have to actually generate the draw calls, which get sent to the GPU later. But it's also not very efficient on the GPU side. So the instance uh, rendering kind of helps with both of those, right? It's much more efficient because you only have to do one draw call and you just give it to uh, 
parameters for the instances, but it also on the, the GPU side is more efficient because you're kind of process the, the card has all the data there and you're processing it at the same time. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of a win on both those sides. Let me go. Let me swing back around to a left hand, left side of the field sort of question. How did you become involved with VR? Like, how did you become the lead engineer VR programmer at Unreal? Uh, it's it's kind of a funny, you know, random set of coincidences and a little bit of a skunkworks project. So when I started at Epic, I was working on a game, and then uh, we decided uh, we would license Scaleform. Uh, for Unreal Engine 3, and uh, because that was a free resource at the time and I was still kind of new, I, I worked on integrating uh, that into UE3, and then we decided to use it for Gears of War 3, and since I already did uh, part of the integration, I started working on the UI on that side, and then uh, Nate Mitchell and Brendan Rebe were working at Skillform at the time. Nate Mitchell actually came down to help us out um, with Gears 3, so I became uh, friends with him. And they, of course, later went on to start Oculus up with uh, Palmer Lucky. So they uh, contacted me at one point and said, hey, I've got this crazy new prototype device. You want to see if you can make something cool in Unreal 4? I'm like, yeah, sure. So just kind of after hours, I started uh, fiddling around with the Oculus. We got uh, Unreal Engine 4 up and running in it. Mm-hmm. And uh, when uh, Oculus showed off the first cre- – or uh, uh, Oculus Rift HD at E3, I think it was two years ago now mm-hmm. – um, uh, they were showing Elemental VR, which was the demo that we kind of worked on after hours uh, with the Oculus team on. And then uh, as VR started to pick up more and more momentum, uh, we got more people at the exec level, Tim Sweeney and Dan Vogel and those guys to check out VR. We took them over to Valve so they could see the the first prototype of their room experience. And then they saw that that was a real thing and started devoting more and more resources to it. So now we're here today. I've got a, a team. I've got a two guys that just started uh, fairly recently and it army of content creators doing demos. So it's, it's become a real legitimate part of the engine. It's a, it's a big deal for us now. That's super exciting. Um, yeah, great story. Definitely. Steve, can you talk about your sort of the things that you've been doing with VR and developing with UE4 and like what sorts of things do you think that would be valuable feedback for Nick that you have him right now on the podcast? <laughs> okay. Well, I've been working on, I'm kind of a newbie to uh, game development and VR. I was, I was a traditional desktop programmer, and I got tired of that, and I said, What's, what else can I do? And uh, VR is hot, and uh, I thought, that'd be fun. So I picked up Unreal Engine, and I've, been, uh, I've made a lot of demos, just you know, learning blueprints, learning how to make plugins, learning all the different basic stuff. And uh, currently, I'm trying to f- finish up a, a typing tutor. It's a v- like a VR 3D typing tutor. And it's cool. Uh, and it's coming like really cool. As far as like a tips, one thing that I that I wanted to mention that is that I, I'm using like the streaming levels, which I I found later, and I realized oh this is really important because I wanted to like play music in the background and then stream in different levels without having to interrupt the uh, you know the flow of the game. <laughs> so um, my my one tip I guess is like get streaming levels working right away and then just make levels and you can stream them in and out very easily. That works beautifully, but it's not something obvious. Like I, I thought streaming levels was just for these big mega worlds where you want to stream in like different parts of the world, which it, it's good for that. Right. So, but I didn't know it'd be good for just a general purpose game. Um, I don't know. That, that was, that's, that's what I discovered. Yeah. We actually use those a lot internally for just kind of breaking up the, the map content. You know, we usually have a couple people working on any given uh, map or piece of content and it's really helpful to kind of break it up. So you have kind of a, a base geometry layer and maybe a mesh layer and then an audio layer. So multiple people can uh, work on different aspects of the map at the same time. And then you don't have that resource contention if somebody has the map file checked out. Uh, oh, yeah, so that's a, a good idea. Granular. 
So we, we use it very extensively internally. Oh, great. I mean, it's always, it's always, I'm, I'm always for modularity and like, you know, just doing one thing at a time. And I hate having to, I would hate to have like one monster map with everything in there. And then uh, you're constantly having to like, you know, I don't know, it might be slow or might, you might have problems. So yeah, I'm all about modularity. So the streaming levels is great. I love that. Yeah, you can also pull in different types, you know, gameplay types or objectives and stuff. I mean, we've had people that build, you know, here's my base map with all the kind of geometry and everything, and then you stream in different objective sets <coughs> or, you know, targets and stuff, so you can use, reuse the same content. Mm-hmm. Let me yeah, that's that. great. I mean, I think, I think the tutorials don't really mention that right off. I think for the beginner, it's like, that's not really obvious, but if, it'd be cool if you had, like, a really good tutorial, like, here's how you do streaming, and here's some awesome things you can do with it. That'd be really helpful. Mm-hmm. Cool. Awesome. Um, do you have any more, any more questions, Steve, please let, let's, 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 uh, let, let's take advantage of, uh, next time while we're here. <laughs> okay. Um, well, uh, yeah, I'm not going to, I don't want to be too hard on it, but let me think, let me look at my list. <laughs> <Let's> see. <laughs> um, well, I, I love the blueprints. Uh, the blueprints are, are you, are you the, are you the blueprint guy also? Is, yeah. I'm the, the lead of the, the blueprints team as well. Okay, well, you're like the genius at Epic because you're, you're <laughs> my two favorite features you're working on, which is amazing. Oh, thank you. There's many, many uh, more geniuses at Epic, though. I, no, I, I feel very <laughs> overwhelmed by them. It's yeah. a fun company to work at because of that, actually. It's, you always learn something. Yeah, I, mean, what, my, I guess I, I want to know why it's, I mean, I don't want to be too critical, but there's certain things about blueprints that are great and some things that are bad. Like one thing, like uh, it'd be great if like copying and pasting whole functions and moving all the variables and over all that stuff work. That'd be, that'd be really good. Yeah. That's, I'm not sure if I'm missing something, but <laughs> it, the, the thing is we have to, whenever you copy and paste, especially between uh, different blueprints, we have to kind of, it's, there's user experience questions of, you know, how do we move over things that don't exist? Do we create the variables for you? Do we leave them as unknowns and whatnot? Oh, and I know it's a hard problem. Yeah. yeah it's a hard that, problem. Yeah. It's one that we're, we're going to address. Our, our focus has just been kind of getting up, uh, making sure that Blueprints is kind of a feature-complete language and getting to a place where we're comfortable there and then go and really refine the workflows so that it's as smooth as possible. Uh, no, I'm sure you're working on it. It's, it's, it's already amazing. It just, I, just I, I, hit little, I like to refactor my code. So like when I was coding you know, normally with uh, like C++ or whatever, it's so easy to just to like take code and copy and paste it here and there and nothing breaks and you, it recompiles. And with the Blueprints, it's like you gotta, there's a few steps you got to like, first copy the blueprints and make the variables and then do this. It's a little bit of a work, but I, I understand it's a hard problem. I understand it's coming. I just wanted to, to mention my, my one complaint. <laughs> so everything else is amazing, man. Sweet. That's good. Yeah. I'm, I, I'm going to tell you on, I have a confession to make. I am, and I am not a journalist in the, in the tra- traditional sense because I am not, I'm biased. I like Unreal Engine 4 or Unity. Um, and, I want to ask you questions. Um, I'm going to ask you some a couple of hard questions because I like you and I want to make sure <laughs> that you guys succeed, okay? Um, Sounds good. One of them being is, so seeing as Unity holds such a huge chunk of the market for like w- with developers, they have such a huge community. Um, you know, I, I talked to John Riticello and, you know, a few months ago and he you know, pulled out the stat that like 95% of all VR demos and software and content is, is being made with Unity. And, mm-hmm. and I, and I want to know what you, what Epic is trying to do to like, you know, close that gap. Are you, are you, you know, what is it that you think will be the thing that will mobilize developers to come on your side? Yeah. So, I mean, there's a couple different, uh, 
pieces to that. The the first one is that we, we spend a lot of time really kind of getting out there and trying to interact with people and teach them to use Unreal because, I mean, a lot of Unreal has a very kind of intimidating past, right? We're traditionally a AAA engine. You had to pay a lot of money in order to get access to it. It was very kind of closed. And uh, when we started giving it out on the subscription model and then for free, that really opened up the markets and it really changed the way that Epic kind of looks at developer support, right? You know, now we're trying to get out there and share as much as possible. Everybody has the source code. So um, it's really kind of a fertile ground for people that, you know, make new hardware devices and stuff like that to to really kind of take advantage of the, the tool set of the engine and apply it to whatever they're doing. So that's kind of one portion of it. The other portion is that um, we work really kind of closely with a lot of developers that are making the high-end visual uh, experiences and the kind of high-end VR content. So, you know, every time Oculus has debuted... Uh, you know, any one of their new headsets, there's always been a UE4 demo that goes along with it. You know, we did the Elemental VR, Strategy VR for the Crescent Bay. We did Couch Nights for the DK2. We did Showdown for the, the Crescent Bay. Um, the uh, Toy Box demo was UE4 uh, when they debuted the Oculus Touch controllers. And, uh, you know, the Oculus Story Studio work, that's all in UE4. So we really spend a lot of time making sure that developers are very successful with uh, UE4 and VR. And we've seen a lot of really great um, VR content come out. I mean, uh, 310 is Adrift is a great-looking game that's all built on UE4. Uh, Eve Valkyrie, um, they uh, switched to UE4, and they're going to ship with it. Um, and these are all the really kind of great high-end games in UE4, and we're hoping that you know people can see that the success stories of those, and then, you know, hey, I can do that too, and use the power of blueprints and stuff to really make a, a fun experience. And so that's kind of our strategy to it. You know, we want to empower those that want to check out our tool set. Where? Yeah, that's definitely that's definitely how I got involved in, in UE4. Is that uh, I noticed that all the super high end demos are using UE4, and I thought, hey, I'm, I want to be a pro. I don't want to. I want to use the tools that the pros are using. That's kind of what where I'm coming from. Definitely. And where do you think? Where, where do you envision, or where do you think uh, the engine will be, or should be, five years from now? I know it's a crazy question, but please, I dare you to dream. <laughs> dare me to dream, huh? Yeah. Uh, I, I think you know we're kind of kind of keep building, right? My, my dream is that, you know, all these, these cool new tech pieces are coming out, right? You know, people are making cool HMDs, but now people are really working on the motion control problems. There's a lot of people that are doing cool stuff with, you know, live motion capture and whatnot. And what I really want UE4 to be, and what we really strive to be is just a, a much more modular engine than we have been in the past so that you can kind of take all these pieces, you know, whatever makes a compelling VR experience to you or whatever kind of, you know, floats your boat for experimentation. We want you to be able to kind of piece that all together and use us as a common tool set to create an awesome experience so what i'd like to see in five years is that you know anytime anybody comes out with a new piece of fancy hardware be it you know google x labs or you know some guy in their basement that's just has a great idea um those experiences i want them to all be ue4 because it's the easiest place to kind of come together piece things together with blueprints so you don't have to have a huge team of programmers uh i, I really want it to be kind of you know the people's engine right um, we mm. we really feel especially with the the blueprints uh, side of things that, you know, we want to democratize game development so that you don't have to have a programmer. People that have never programmed before in their life can, you know, make functionality and build upon a base and make it much more easy for people to kind of build these kind of ad hoc teams, right? So to me, the ultimate success of UE4 would be if we uh, take that even farther than we have today and people can, that don't traditionally think that they can make an experience, just make one from start to finish. And we're already starting to see that, but I, I really would love to see that with kind of the technical innovation that's coming down the pipe because that's what's so exciting about VR is it's all new. Definitely. I mean, oh, here's a question. I had a question. Sure. Um, the, you know, I've heard some talk about plugins on the marketplace, but I haven't seen anything. Can you talk about that, or is that still like 
No, Code, code Plugins are, uh, are supported on the marketplace now. I believe that there's a few out there already. I would have to, to check to be 100% sure, but that process is definitely in place. We're working with some partners to uh, that want to release their stuff via the marketplace directly <laughs> so that they can get a more direct line to UE4 users. Yeah, I didn't see it in the marketplace. Maybe I'm dismissing it. But I, also, can you include blueprints inside a plugin, or is it, is it only C++? Yeah, you can include blueprints. They uh, just get loaded up. Your uh, plugin can just have a content folder in it. Uh, there's a small example in UE4, the Paper 2D system. Uh, it comes built in, uh, but it's a plugin, and it has some content in it as well. Okay, I, I, I think I read about this months ago. That's why I'm, I'm probably thinking when it was you know months ago, and they, mm-hmm. they wouldn't allow you to have blueprints. But that's great. And uh I, can, I really can't wait. When, there, when there's a lot, of, I've got some plugins myself. I want to maybe put on the store or at least share with people online. Because mm-hmm. um, I, th- I think the plugin model is amazing. I, it's a really great way to modulize your code. Just throw something in a plugin; it works. Don't touch it, um, and uh, edit it as needed. So I'm really hoping exactly. that becomes really big. Great. Speaking of blueprints, I, I want to throw another question out of left field for you. I'm wondering whether it, you consider ever all the possibility of having a um, a graphical user interface for blueprints uh, in a in a volumetric way. Um, so, so for example, being able to navigate uh, or create VR inside VR or create. What I'm saying is, do you think it would ever be possible to translate what we're able to do on the 2D plane um, into VR? Like, like uh, could 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 blueprints turn? Can you can you can you play with blueprints in VR? That's what I'm asking. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, I think there's some unique UI challenges to it. But uh, yeah. one of the things we have been thinking about is how do we, you know, decrease the iteration time for uh, our content creators, right? So we've taken steps. We worked with two groups at Stanford recently for their senior project to um, make the editor compatible with VR so that you can go into VR and use motion controllers. Another team used what a device called a Novant Falcon and a 3D mouse in order to do kind of in-game manipulation of that. So you can basically make your VR experiences from within VR. So something that we're actively researching. As far as blueprints, I think there's a lot of potential there. Um, I think since blueprints is kind of a UI-heavy thing, that it's maybe not the most natural first fit to it. Mm-hmm. But I think there's aspects of uh, visual scripting that you could pretty easily pull into uh uh, VR, like, uh, you know, some of the things that you would do in a level script, you know, like when I touch this trigger, I want this door to open, or if I, you know, you know, set this on fire, I want it to catch fire, where you're kind of developing relationships between objects, right? I could imagine a world where, you know, you point at an object, and you click a button, and it brings up a little kind of radial menu or something of, uh, you know, op- events that happen to that object, like this trigger got touched, and then you can just kind of drag a wire over to the door that you want to open and make a very kind of intuitive you know, drawing magical lines between things, way of scripting objects, you know, kind of like something like Little Big Planet hmm. uh, has in VR. I think that's the way that it would be the most efficient. Um, I, I think with VR, it's really tempting just to kind of throw everything in there at once, even if it's not a refined user experience. But I'm very much in the favor of go slow and make an experience that makes sense or make an interface that makes sense for VR. Because, you know, you could take you could take DOS and put it on a smartphone, right? But it's not going to be the most native interface. The thing that made smartphones really take off is when, you know, Apple kind of really refined the gestures and made a, an interface that was built around the smartphone rather than porting a different interface over to it. I think the same thing is pretty important consideration in VR. So I, I try not to, you know, just slap things in VR for the sake of slapping them in there. I really like to think about how can we take advantage of the medium, right? What are the advantages 
of being able to move around and be within a world? What are the advantages of the motion controllers that we have? And really play upon those to make a good experience that is better in VR than it is on a 2D monitor. Yeah, definitely. Definitely some big questions that you're wrestling with here because of, you know, just think, thinking about what are, what you're up against. You're up against the monitor, <laughs> especially yeah. when you're considering, that you know, um, outside of gaming, you know, what, what else can VR do? And I think that there's so much that VR can do. Um, because I don't know if you've seen this, this a post by Ed McGregor. Um, he's this really talented programmer on Twitter. <clears throat> and he talks about how virtual reality, the industry and the medium has this really big problem where the word, the, the phrase virtual reality sets up the average user for some really unrealistic expectations like it's about to blow your mind because this is reality and and <laughs> and people walk away with like disappointed because it's like it's not reality yet and of course it's not um yeah. so so we're so he's struggling with like should we call it something else for now should we call it volumetric representations mm-hmm. um and that's why i brought up the question about volumetric blueprints or something like that um mm-hmm. and 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 yeah you're, you're you do have uh a lot to, you know because the thing is can 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 volumetric computing interfaces be more efficient than uh, the paradigm that we're under right now? And what's your take on that? Do you think it's possible? Oh, I'm sure it is possible. I, mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of experimentation and kind of user experience research that has to be done. You know, somebody's going to have a series of those aha moments and put it, uh, you know, do something that's really clever. And then people are going to have a paradigm, which, you know, everybody else builds on and riffs on and whatnot. But taking that next leap for kind of volumetric interfaces, I'm, I haven't seen anything that's super compelling. Um, yet. I mean, there's some good ideas and some good starts and good adaptations of uh, 2D UI into 3D, but, you know, somebody hasn't invented the, you know, the end-all be-all paradigms uh, for volumetric interfaces. I'm excited to see where people are going. I have a lot, I've seen a lot of kind of research into that area that's very promising, but, you know, as soon as somebody comes out with something that's, you know, for, for lack of a better term, the, the iPhone interface of, you know, VR, hmm. um, where you really establish the grammar of how you use the the medium, um, it's it's going to be a lot of trying and failing and uh, kind of half-baked ideas. I think one of the worst things people can do, though, uh, kind of building upon the, the blog post you mentioned, is you know show people very bad virtual reality experiences because it's so easy to turn people off to VR. And we know, I, I really personally, I want it to catch this time around, right? We've been through virtual reality, you know, before everybody always mentioned, oh, it failed before, it failed before, but it doesn't have to fail this time. Mm-hmm. And one of the best ways we can ensure that is that we show people that are new to it very good VR experiences. You know, we still go to shows, uh, showing off the showdown and uh, Thief in the Shadows demos where people come around and by the time they get to our experience, they're like, oh, I, I tried two or three other demos and they made me sick. Uh, so I'm not going to try yours, right? And that just shuts people off to VR, which is which is a shame because you know people aren't running at frame rate, people are running high latency experiences. Uh, I really want people to that you know if if you believe in VR, don't show people crappy VR, right? Yeah, yeah. No, it's uh, you're wow. That's crazy. How like the people uh, shut themselves off from experiencing something like the showdown because they judge the whole thing as as oh it's gonna flop like the 90s because you know i just tried someone's crappy demo wow man we got some work to do don't we <laughs> we do we do and that's you know band together right yes. don't let friends don't let friends try crappy vr yes yes for sure <laughs> let me ask you you know again dare to dream sir um looking <laughs> at the future of the hmds um and where they're going you know i have this notion this assumption that eventually ar and vr will come out of the same device i like to think what you think you know is the is the trajectory of the hmd and how epic will be on top of that 
and be able to capitalize on that. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, you know, at, at Epic, we're an engine, right? So we try to focus on letting people d- develop content without having to worry about the the specifics of the technology underneath it, right? So if you build your content in UE4, you can run it on, you know, the Oculus Rift. You can run it on the HTC Vive. You can run it on the Morpheus. In fact, we've shown Showdown, the same Showdown with no content uh, adaptations running on all of those platforms, you know, directly. So that's really what we want to do. We want to solve this hard technical challenges for users so that they can focus on creating awesome experiences. Um, so uh, with the new HMDs, let's see, Daring to Dream, uh, the thing I saw recently was uh, – at SIGGRAPH, actually going on right now, they're showing off a, a light field or at least a, a bilayer light field hmm. uh, HMD display. You know, I, I'm curious to see. I, I wish I was at SIGGRAPH right now uh, so I could actually give it a try because I'm very curious to see how well it works. I've seen multilayer uh, light field stuff before, but I'd really like to see how that works in an HMD setting. You know, it's going to be kind of solving those edge problems. You know, HMDs are going to get lighter. Um, they're going to, you know, be more comfortable as people start to use them, uh, controls are coming online and, you know, we finally got, uh, interaction in VR. I think there's a lot of work, uh, to be done there now that we've kind of got our first generation out. Um, it's great interaction in VR feels great, but, uh, I think that's going to be kind of the next focus is how do we get input, uh, into VR and, you know, what are, what paradigm kicks in, right? Is it going to be motion controllers? Is it going to be something else? Is it going to be something that is, you know, a modified mocap setup? Uh, especially, you know, past the, the three to four, five year boundary, you know, what, what is input going to look like in, in VR, I think is going to be the next big challenge. Yeah. There's, and there's so many options. You got eye tracking, you got voice, you got keyboard, you got motion controllers, you got biometric feedback. There's so much, uh, <clears throat> and, and maybe it might be a combination of all of them. Um, yeah, we're, exactly. we're about to start, we're starting, we're starting to run out of time. Steve, do you have any questions for Nick before we, uh, we, we, uh, blast off into the metaverse i think i'm good um i wanted to mention that uh you know zach does a great job on the tutorial videos so uh definitely pat him on the shoulder zach is awesome and he's got such a good voice for it too i always feel like i want to buy a toaster or some you know two for one late night deal on an infomercial after he does one of those (laughs) Uh, no no he's he's perfect actually I, i listened to a lot of the unity uh videos also and they're also good but the guy's voice is kind of annoying and i couldn't deal with it so i just switched on real engine <laughs> his voice is so just energetic and enthusiastic i you know if, if zach told me to jump off a bridge in one of those videos i would probably do it just because oh, yeah. he's got no, such I, a I, totally, I totally agree about his voice is very, uh, i am his lemon <laughs> zach you're going places with that voice stay stay at it um <laughs> gentlemen you have both been scholars and gentlemen of, of virtual reality and the proto metaverse um <laughs> Nick, how can people stay in touch and follow up with all the good things and awesome things that you're up to? Uh, at Unreal Engine on Twitter uh, takes all the stuff that I do and makes it sound really cool and uh, keeps everybody on top of it. So that's the best resource. I also I just did a, a speech at SIGGRAPH, so if people want to catch the, the recordings of that, um, uh, that's pretty much the best way, I guess. Sweet. And Steve, what about you? Oh, you can email me at steve at distant future, and it's – um. Dot re so it's like distant future.re cool yeah. i will put all that relevant information in the show notes once again gentlemen thank you so much for your time thank you thanks